everyone and welcome to Behold, the podcast where we cast our all-seeing eye over the world of comic book adaptations and try to sort the super from the substandard. Who is we? Well, I'm your host Andrew and as usual I'm joined by my co-host Mick. How today Mick? Oh good, we were committing to the you not talking bit then. Oh yeah, you should know that by now. When I commit, I commit. Oh, you've ruined it now. Broken character. I was just going to loom ominously in the background for the whole podcast and then only reveal my true nature at the end. But you've ruined it. I mean, given how much problem I have just with normal, ordinary words... I'm not sure I can manage like a, str- a strangled shriek of death. I can't even say the word strangled shriek of death. <laughs> so, yes, we are back for the new year. And uh, this week we're actually going to be doing something a little bit different because we're covering not one, but two things because we'll be doing a double feature of both of Marvel's special presentations. So this is almost like a sort of New Year special episode. Oh, that's good. That, that actually makes it seem like we planned this more than let's do these holiday things from last year, like in mid-January. You see, this is why I keep pressing that I should be the ideas man. Yeah, but then you'd have to do the... Well, I, I say the planning. Let's, let's keep up the no, 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 no. Just the ideas. Just the ideas. That's all I'm interested in doing. I'll sit there and I'll say, I think we should do a podcast um, from entirely within an igloo built from Lego. You do the planning. You source the Lego bricks. Oh, you source great. the sound system. So, so essentially, it's a glass onion type scenario where you just send me faxes with random words on and I have to turn them into things. That's right, yeah. No, I like it. I think it's a bold new future for Behold. (laughs) Finally, the world's first underwater podcast. Absolutely. What about how? I know. How about we arrange a sponsorship deal with Elon Musk and we do our first trans-orbital podcast where one of us is in space bagging up me? I'd say yes, but I don't think he's got the money to spare at the moment. (laughs) Anyway, we have digressed a lot. We have indeed, and we haven't even covered the first... It's, it's it's behold. Like we're just we're giving the tangent. people what they expect. Let's do a whole podcast that's just tangent. That's what they want. Oh, I like it all tangent, and then like maybe a minute at the end where we talk about something, if they're lucky. Yeah, all tangent, no relevance. Should we actually talk about some TV shows, films? 
what, something. Well, they're, they're listed on Wikipedia as TV specials, so I'm counting them as TV. Okay, is that so? That means they're going to go on the TV list. That is correct, yes. Right. And the first thing that we're going to be ranking today is Werewolf by Night, which is the Halloween special directed by Michael Giacchino, whose name may be familiar to people. He's better known as a composer, has done, I mean, just a lot of stuff over the years, including quite a fair bit for the MCU already. Uh, mm-hmm. I know he did the soundtracks for Doctor Strange, Spider-Man Homecoming. And he's actually the one who did the little Marvel fanfare, you know, the dun 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 that's at the start of everything. That was Star Wars, wasn't it? Yes, that's right. He he composed Star Wars. <laughs> Turns out John Williams is just an alias. Uh, and written by Heather Quinn and Peter Cameron. And boy, that was a brief moment of confusion looking at Wikipedia and seeing the writer as H. Quinn. <laughs> Not the crossover I expected. It's a devious DC plot to try and derail the MCU. Uh, it's based on a selection of Marvel characters, including Werewolf by Night, created by Roy Thomas, Jeannie Thomas, Jerry Conway, and Mike Plug. Elsa Bloodstone, created by Dan Abner, Andy Langing, and Michael Lopez. And Man-Thing, created by Stan Lee, Roy Thomas, Jerry Conway, and Grey Morrow. Which is a heck of a name. That's a great name, isn't it? It is. Do you want me to immediately ruin it for you? Go on. His actual first name is Dwight. Yeah, that does does ruin it. Grey Morrow, his job should have been Weatherman. Oh, it should have. Which and now and now on KNTV, it's over to Grey Morrow for the weather. It's going to rain again. Um. <laughs> yes, we need Grey Morrow to be a weather presenter, and we need like Werewolf by Night to actually have been created by the comics writer Marv Wolfman. Yes, absolutely. Um, and. I've actually got a bit of a problem with Werewolf by Night as a character. Is it the fact that it's a bit of a, a whatchamacallit, a redundancy? No. It's, right, so, we know how comic book naming conventions work, right? In Marvel, it was all about alliteration, wasn't it? Yeah. Oh, oh, we're going to talk about Werewolf by Night's real name. Yes. I mean, if you were going to create a comic book character whose daytime name was resembling that of a breed of dog, you'd go with something a bit more menacing, wouldn't you? You'd go with something like Alan Sation. I don't know what you're talking about. Are you saying that criminals don't have fear stricken into their hearts by the name Jack Russell. The only, the only criminal, or the only person of dubious morals that would be scared by uh, someone called Jack Russell would be Ant-Man in ant form. Otherwise, all you'd need to do is put on some ankle protectors and you'd be fine. 
actually funnily enough i have woken up today with a mysterious ankle injury maybe maybe i was attacked by werewolf by nice <laughs> because i you know it, it it comic books are quite well known for their appreciation of the concept of nominative determinism so by that token a comic book character who is a werewolf by night but has the daytime name of jack russell the werewolf that he turns into is just could be slightly annoying and not at all threatening. Whereas Alsatian, when he changes under the light of the full moon. Yeah. Although that being said, if you were locked in a room with a yappy Jack Russell, oof, ooh. Just a really annoying kind, kind of yeah, like this I'm, show, you know. It's it's more of a mental torture than a an actual physical threat. Exactly. That's well. That's the thing about Marvel is their heroes are, are much more cerebral. <laughs> sure, and any old Tom, Dick, or Harry can write a story about a big Alsatian man tearing people apart. But, a, but an annoying Jack Russell Terrier, man, that that really makes you think. <laughs> anyway, this is all stalling because I don't really know anything about Werewolf by Night. No, we can't do our usual trip down memory lane about our uh, enjoyment of Werewolf by Night down the down the years. All I can tell you is that it first appeared in 1972. So this is something of a 50th anniversary for it. Oh, yes, so it is. You're welcome. Oh, was it time of release? But yes, I think he was part of a wave of characters like kind of Ghost Rider and Morbius. As I remember it, it was because the Comics Code Authority had kind of loosened a bit what they allowed in comics. So you suddenly saw a lot more, like, kind of gruesome characters. But yeah, as as a character, I don't really know him much beyond, I think there was a miniseries called Legion of Monsters that was quite fun, where it was like him, Morbius, Elsa Bloodstone, and one of my favourite named characters, a big fish man named Manphibian. Manphibian. Oh, that is brilliant. It is. As as pun names go, that one's pretty top-notch. It's, like, it's like he's an offshoot of Manimal. He's like the predecessor to Manimal got stuck in one form. Oh my god, he is. He's the Manimal that time forgot. <laughs> but yeah, also Bloodstone and Man thing I'm a bit more familiar with. They tend to show up a bit more often than I always like them. Elsa uh, Bloodstone. See, I'm, I, I'm not that familiar with Elsa Bloodstone, but Man Thing, as you say, Guardian of the Nexus. Yeah, I think. Yeah, I was on the Swamp Thing episode we did where I mentioned that basically him and Swamp Thing were made at like a month apart from each other. Mm-hmm. But yeah, Elsa Bloodstone's fun. She's an angry lady with lots of big guns. Well, why isn't Charlie's Theron playing her then? 
got Charlize Theron. Actually, no. Because I know she played a British character in Arrested Development with a terrible accent. So I don't think we need to bring that back. But she did it with atom in Atomic Blonde much better. Oh, yeah. Mick, I forgot about Atomic Blonde, a film that we have covered for this very podcast. Honestly, I don't know why I bother. You know, we record them for posterity. You can go back and refresh your memories to the ones we've done. We also did The Old Guard. We which did. also featured Charlize Theron as an angry lady with a lot of guns. And axes. Yes. Hey, speaking of axes, as a somewhat tenuous link, should I do a synopsis? <laughs> that is... That is really tenuous. Go on. So, as always... Synopsize away. As always, spoilers ahead. So, after the death of monster hunter Ulysses Budstone, a group of his fellow hunters are gathered by his wife Verusa, led by Harriet Sansom Harris, at his manor house for a ceremonial hunt to determine who will be their new leader and gain the mystical Bloodstone Amulet. Nope. Amulet, that's... What, what's an amulet? Amulet? It, it, it's, a, it, it's a really messy dish that you make with eggs. I'm just going to have, for my lunch, a quick amulet. <laughs> Made out of bloodstones. Yes. So, amongst the group are Jack Russell, played by Gail Garcia Bernal, and Ulysses' daughter, Elsa, played by Laura Donnelly. After learning that Jack is actually here to save the monster being hunted, Elsa teams up with him and kills some of the other hunters, including one guy whose arm she just hacks off with a big axe. And, and that's the link. They then meet Jack's friend Ted, a heap of walking plant matter that looks like some kind of thing from a swamp, and whose touch burns all that fear him. The pair helped Ted escape and retrieve the bloodstone. However, when Jack touches it, it identifies him as a monster and releases a, a blast of energy, knocking both of them out. Verusa then captures them and reveals to Elsa that Jack is a werewolf, but only by night. She forces him to transform using the bloodstone in the hope that he'll kill Elsa. However, he instead escapes and kills the guards before trying to break out of the manor. Uh, Verusa tries to use the bloodstone to stop Jack, but Elsa snatches it back, and then Verusa feels the burning touch of a giant-sized man-thing. The next morning... There's no good way of saying that, is there? No, but that's probably the worst way of saying it. <laughs> yes! <laughs> the next morning, Jack wakes up back in human form in a forest uh, with Ted, and Elsa takes possession of the bloodstone and bloodstone manor. And that's it. Uh, actually, both of the things we're covering today, I don't know if we say, they're, they're basically like 45 minutes long. So we've got some nice breezy synopsises today. Yes. Despite the addition of made up words like I'm a la 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 la. Yes, even taking into account <laughs> just my inability to finish even a single sentence. These are quick yeah. ones. Indeed. Yeah, well, by night, I'd like to this one a lot. 
I did. I enjoyed it. It was it was something that I watched as a bit of a filler while I had a brief um, accessibility to uh, Disney Plus. And after I'd spent three days trolling through all the various Star Wars spin-offs to ignore watching, um, I came across Werewolf by Night, and I thought, well, why not? And I thoroughly enjoyed it. It had a, it had a, a sort of simple honesty to it that was that's been lacking from some of the first four stuff. A lack of complexity, a lack of multidimensionalism. Yes, I think this is one of the few things in Phase 4 that doesn't suffer a bit from just having too many things shoved into it. Yeah, it's it's nice and simple. It's <clears throat> a simple premise. Some might say a cliched one. A lot of people vying for the control of the secret society of hunters and stuff with some kind of weird prophecy-type tradition nonsense thrown in and a MacGuffin in the shape of a bloodstone. But I think there's enough Marvel-esque twists in it to, to keep it fresh. Yeah, and I think it's... It it's not really a show that requires an overly complex plot, is it? No. And, you know, sometimes when, you, when you're sitting down to watch someone for 53 minutes, you don't want loads of arc plot. This is, this is, this is the one thing from Phase 4 where you don't need a degree in MCU to, to actually fully enjoy it. You don't need to have known what's gone on in the previous 23 instalments of the universe and cut credit sequences. Yeah, yeah, I think that's definitely one of the best things about this is that it's just, it's very self-contained. And it's as well, it feels like more its own thing in terms of style as well. Like it's obviously, there are still very MCU touches to it. But then it's also, I mean, it's 90% of it is kind of shot in black and white. Yeah. As very obviously aping like 1930s monster movies yeah including a lot of like actual practical sets and effects which i think look like really good yeah like even kind of like the actual werewolf makeup like it does look very the original wolfman and it's sort of a bit cheesy, but in a way that really works. Yes. And I, and, and I think that's what I like about it. I think it, it's that naive charm of it. It feels like a good old-fashioned 30s horror story, but made with modern um, technology and modern, modern approaches to the characters as well. So, like, Elsa, although in the comics... Um, there's a tendency to sort of over-sexualise female characters that carry that are badass and carry guns. Um, in this, she isn't. She's kind of just real. Yeah. 
real. And also can like chop a guy's arm off and then shoot another guy in the face with a crossbow. And then she's got like a big old sword and she just like whacks it into another woman's head. Yeah. That's also, it's again, because it's got like that sense more of, I mean, realness in quotation marks, because again, this is about a werewolf and a big plant monster. Yeah. But like, because it does have that level of feeling a bit more like well-rounded characters and again like the actual practicality of it i think a lot of those cool action scenes they do have a bit more weight to them than kind of a lot of the sort of i mean i was gonna say typical mcu but really just typical like action blockbusters in general Mm. but yeah anyway it's good that it's got that weight because i was i was actually surprised by how violent this was yeah, I was thinking, you know, is this what, without knowing too much about it, I was thinking, what is the, what is the audience for this? Yeah, because I assumed it was going to be, oh, it's, it's a Marvel horror in like very heavy quotation marks. Yeah. And it just, uh, it's, it's basically the same as everything else in the MCU, but with a werewolf. But no, you you get things like that one scene where Jack as a werewolf is just tearing through a hall full of guards and just the camera gets slowly covered with more and more blood. Yes. Um, And it's... The other thing is, I think you come out of it with a, a more positive, good though it is anyway, um, I think you come out of it with a more positive slant because you haven't sat there with your backside getting numb for th- three hours, nearly. And I think maybe the rest of the MCU going forward could maybe learn from that. That actually you can tell a nice tight story in 53 minutes. Add a bit of arc plot onto that. You've got yourself a nice tight one and a half to two hour movie. You don't need to go on and on and on. Maybe make two movies. Yeah, I mean, heck, like, probably not just the MCU, a lot of modern blockbusters in general. You can cut this stuff down. Like, a film does not need to be nearly three hours long. No. And it doesn't need to just be full of, and here's a bit where we're going to tease another film that's maybe going to happen, who knows? Yeah, and and that's the thing as well, isn't it? You can do those teases and then they're irrelevant because there's some contractual problem with the person featured or... Yeah, or because James Gunn's taken over your whole studio and he's fired everyone. Yeah. Even though he might not have. I mean, I feel fairly confident that Black Adam 2 is not happening. I do. And that's a good thing. It is. <gasps> what if it's because James Gunn listened to our episode? Do you think? Do you think we have that level of power? Yes, except also thinking about it now. I think maybe he made that announcement before the episode actually came out. Well, you sent them a preview, right? Oh, oh, of course. Maybe that's it. Maybe 
I mean, Feige has ignored us. Zack Snyder sent a cease and desist, but James Gunn, he's the one who listens to the advanced copies I send. In fairness, we only got the cease and desist because I kept sending Zack Snyder um, four, 4K ultra high def copies of his own films. With a note attached saying, how do you like it? And yet, even that hasn't stopped him. I know. Anyway, Wealth by Night, really good. I like it a lot. Yes, Shall we stick too. it on the old list? Yes. And that's the TV list, correct? Indeed it is. So, this is going on the list of TV... I guess TV properties now, not just TV series. Yes. Going from The Inhumans at 29, all the way up to The Sandman at number one. So, I think... Uh, actually, probably good place to start, uh, since Man Thing's in this. Swamp Thing is at number 11. Okay. Do you know what I think? Because this isn't a straight adaptation, which is one of our criteria. Right? It's an original TV special. It, it's one of our criteria, depending on how much we need it to be and also how we're feeling on the day. Taken. Um, so, uh, I'm thinking, I think this has got more mass appeal than a lot of the other stuff on the list. Because it hasn't got all that baggage that goes with having watched all the entries in the MCU up to that point, plus this. You haven't got a lot of background for in the MCU for Man-Thing and Werewolf by Night as standalone characters. I think this does a really good. This could be a really good gateway into the MCU for people who don't normally watch Marvel Studios stuff. Yeah, I think it's a good gateway, and it's a good like expanding out. So if they do want to do more stuff like this, like so, I know they've got another Blade film planned. Maybe yeah. if they want to do like a Midnight Suns, kind of tie all these characters together. It's kind of shown that they do have scope for that sort of darker level stuff. Yeah. Ooh, also bodes well for Daredevil Born Again. Yeah, I think it's... I mean, generally, looking at kind of the top part of the list, we've got Hitmonkey at number 10, Sweet Tooth at number 9, She-Hulk at number 8, Ms. Marvel at number 7, The Boys Season 2 at number 6. I'd actually be happy, like, sticking this maybe in between the boys and Ms. Marvel, like, make it the new number seven. So, what you're telling me is that you want to stick your giant man thing in between the boys and Miss Marvel. Is that what you're saying on a podcast? 
I mean, yes, but phased in a way less likely to get me put on some kind of register. <laughs> okay. Jack Russell. Number five. Actually, I think werewolf by... Yeah, werewolf by night is our new number seven. Even though if he's a werewolf, he's technically a werewolf all of the time, not just at night. Nights when he turns into a wolf. And also, surely that's all werewolves. It doesn't matter. Anyway, that's Andrew's nitpick corner. (laughs) So yeah, moving on. It's good that you only had one quick nitpick corner. It is. I think that speaks a lot to Werewolf by Night. I think that's some kind of record. It's again another advantage of doing something that's just a quick no must, no fuss. Absolutely. So, moving on to today's second special feature, uh, we're going to be talking about the Guardians of the Galaxy Holiday Special, which is written and directed by James Gunn and based on the version of the Guardians of the Guardians of the Galaxy, created by Dan Abnett and Andy Lanning, the same people who created Elsa Bloodstone. Why, that's that's almost a link right there. It is. See, it's all connected. This is all exactly like we planned. Absolutely. Anyway, Guardians of the Galaxy, they're a group of comic book characters... A lot of their backstory doesn't matter because James Gunn's kind of mostly created his own versions of the films. Which, Indeed. to be fair, is also basically what Dan Abner and Andy Lanning did. Well, I didn't realise that this was the conclusion of Phase 4. Yes, yes, I think this is... Although I think James Gunn's called it the epilogue. So I think... Uh, oh yeah, Wakanda Forever. I guess Wakanda Forever is like meant to be the end of Phase 4. And then this is like a little... Like Wait, no, did this, uh, this came out before Wakanda Forever, didn't it? Yeah, that's what I thought. So does that make Wakanda Forever the start of Phase 5? I guess. The phasing is all over the place. It is. I I think the problem is this one hasn't really had like anything to mark it off. Like I know phase one was quite similar in this. It was a bunch of mostly unconnected films. But then that had Avengers as like a definitive like concluding points. Right. I think there were delays, weren't they, in Wakanda Forever coming out. So I think oh, originally yeah, Wakanda Forever was supposed to be the second to last piece of Phase Four. Um and Guardians of the Galaxy would be that little epilogue. But I think actually because of the delays, Wakanda Forever is now the conclusion to Phase Four. Yeah, that might be it. It also doesn't really matter, does it? 
it doesn't, because Phase 4, let's face it, has been a bit meh. Uh, I, I don't know. My... As a phase, it's lacked the coherence of the Infinity Saga. Yeah, that's that's fair, I would say. Like, I think the actual properties in Phase 4 have been, I mean, pretty much consistent with the quality of the rest of the MCU. But this one hasn't been as much of a, like, actual overarching thing. Yeah. But anyway, Guardians of the Galaxy. Um, I think probably the main background of this, because... Oh, the, the the comics themselves I haven't been that into because I tend not to be a big fan of Marvel space stuff because it's just all a bit of, ooh, I'm going to use my cosmic wobbly powers to unflimble the time stream. <laughs> but actually, the Guardians of the Galaxy films, I would say probably my favourite part of the MCU. They are, because I think... They're a lot of fun, and even when they're dealing with um, sort of darker subplots, um, still manage to do it with a certain amount of humour. And the soundtracks are cracking. Yes, it's obviously banging tunes, as the kids say. Yes. Plus, I think... Because I know, I know one of the main complaints of the MCU is that it tends to be very quippy and not kind of deep but the guardians will i think do a better job of like having like genuine actual heart in them and yes. also just very funny yes so shall shall i do a synopsis for the holiday special oh yes i'm looking forward to this oh, okay this this one might be a bit of a cheaty one, but <laughs> well, some spoilers ahead at least. Uh, the Guardians of the Galaxy have purchased the space station Nowhere and are fixing it up after Thanos attacked it. They've also taken on a new member, the psychically powered Cosmo the Space Dog, voiced by Maria Bakalova, whose name is not Maria Baklava. <laughs> However, Peter Quill, aka Star-Lord, played by Chris Pratt, is still depressed over the loss of Gamora, whose current status is complicated and not important to this plot. <laughs> so, hoping to cheer him up and inspired by a story of how Peter's adopted dad slash kidnapper Yondu, with a nice little Michael Rucker cameo, ruined Christmas, his friends Drax, played by Dave Batista, and Mantis, played by Pom Clementif, decide to give him their best Christmas present ever. Unfortunately, they decide to do that by travelling to Earth and kidnapping Peter's childhood hero, the actor Kevin, Bla Kevin Bacon. Played by the actor Kevin Bacon. Wouldn't it have been funny if they'd have got someone else to play the actor Kevin Bacon? You know, they could have got Ross Marcon, the guy who did like the voice for Red Skull in Infinity War. Because <laughs> his thing is he's good at impressions. Right. <laughs> so hijinks ensue, but the day is saved by Craglin, Sean Gunn, who convinces Kevin Bacon to put on a Christmas performance. Mantis then reveals that she's actually Peter's half-sister, 
but has been afraid to tell him as she didn't want to remind him of their evil father. However, Peter is delighted by the news. And then everyone just has a nice Christmas. Yeah. Because, yeah, this one, it's it's not really got much of a plot. A lot of it is just an excuse for Drax and Mantis to run around Earth having wacky yeah. adventures. Yeah. Um, and it, I think it, it draws its format, if not any other inspiration, from a, a less well-received holiday special from another Disney property that wasn't a Disney property at the time. Yes, indeed. Yes. I mean, James Gunn has just flat out said he's been inspired by the Star Wars holiday special. And he's probably the first person to ever, ever have said that. Yeah, I think he might be the only person on the planet who's at least willing to admit that he actually likes that. <laughs> yes, I, I liked this one as well, but probably not as much as Werewolf by Night. I think mainly just because this is less specifically appealing to my interests. Yeah, I think for me, it this was definite. Whereas, whereas Werewolf by Night was enjoyable, and I stumbled across it with just having an hour to kill. Um, Guardians of the Galaxy is something that I thought, well, it'll kill an hour, but well, well forty-five minutes. But because I've been a big fan of volumes one and two of the films, I was much more looking forward to it. And I think perhaps that led to it being a little bit disappointing. Yes, it's got the trademark humour of uh, Gotgi, as the kids call it. Probably. Um, But it still feels a bit... Like a lot of Christmas specials do, sorry, holiday specials do, it still feels like a bit, we're just putting this out for the sake of it. Yeah, it's very, I think schmaltzy is the word I would use. Yeah. Um, and it, it's something, I can understand why, say, EastEnders, which is, you know, a supposedly real depiction of day-to-day life. Yes, at Christmas, I would expect them to be celebrating, well, Christmas. Yeah? What I've never understood is why Doctor Who Christmas specials always have to be set at Christmas. He's a time traveller. What are the chances that he's going to land at Christmas at Christmas? Yeah, although at least with this, it did seem like there was kind of a bit of a tongue-in-cheekness about it. There was, there was. Um, but it, you know, I've won this. I've I've got one question about this. Right. So my one problem with the Guardian of the Galaxy holiday special, if the answer to the question that follows is yes, I think we have a disturbing insight into the mind of Kevin Bacon. Do you think that's his real garden? I'm going to say no. Because, I mean, surely surely that's not where all the EE money's going, is it? 
Like maybe maybe he's not really in debt. Maybe he's just needs to pay for his elaborate garden decoration habit. <laughs> but yeah, that is a very a, a very all in for Christmas garden, shall we say? Yes, it's no one should have that many candy canes. Yeah. I mean, at least he's got one less because Mantis stole one. Yes. That's a that's a lot of candy canes. That's not the sign of a sane man. And they're big. They're big candy canes. Yeah. Some might even say too big. It's like he's robbed Santa's grotto. There's a movie. Oh, I, I do want to see that prequel to this now. <laughs> your bacon number Santa Kevin Bacon's weird garden aside this was still quite fun it was it it was a bit like it felt like one of those kind of variety specials that you used to get I did like the Christmas song by the old 97 so yes that was fun I don't know what Christmas is but Christmas time is here yeah. <laughs> I think my favourite line was about how the elves it... are going to rise up and stab out Santa's eyes. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, if you, actually, if you actually sit down and write down all the things about Christmas to someone who doesn't know all the background to it, that is exactly how it sounds. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it is about a man who breaks into your house and judges you. And if he likes you, gives you a little gift, but you never see him. And also he might eat some of your biscuits. Mm. Yeah. I mean, you know, that 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 was always the uh that was always the story at our house. That that was always the uh that was always the story in our house at Christmas. You know, it's that time of the year when a jolly fat red faced man empties his sack all over the living room. And that's why we don't invite Uncle Derek anymore. <laughs> oh, no. That's... I mean, there, there we go. Another link because the giant sized man thing's back. Uh, I thought you'd appreciate that one. I did. But yeah, this was just, it was a nice bit of fun. Always nice to see the Guardians characters back again. It'd be nice. It would have been nice if there'd been a bit more Gamora, I think. Which I know would have been tricky in the narrative, but you know there could have been a dream sequence or something like that. Just, just, just for the sake, just for the sake of completeness, really. Yeah, I get that. I guess it's just it's hard because I guess they want her coming back to be like 
the big thing in volume three. But again, it does feel weird just not having yeah. Zoe Saldana be in it at yeah. all. Yeah. That's what, I say. That's what I mean, you know, they could have, you know, when you first see Peter, you could have just had him waking up and it, you know, a little dream sequence. Yeah, so we kind of like how Michael Rucker got his little cameo. Yeah. Yes, I did like it. <gasps> oh my god, you know they could have done? They could have even done something like Weird Gamora Dream, but in sort of claymation style, like <laughs> Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer. Yeah, should we should we get this one ranked? I think we should, because uh, I think the techie's conspiring against us once more, and I'm going to have to buy Google lots of cocktails. Yeah, so, right, to make this one short and sweet, uh, number 17, Umbrella Academy Season 3, number 18, What If shove it in between those two that sounds good excellent well there we go guardians of the galaxy holiday special is our new number 18 i actually think maybe this podcast works a bit better when we can't hear each other well yes i mean we started testing the water by not seeing each other And it's just, we've finally got that unbreakable psychic link. <laughs> I know. I'm in therapy over it. Which means we're both in therapy over it. <laughs> Indeed. So, I suppose we ought to sign out then. You better do all that shizzle that you do. Yes, all that shizzle, which will go extra well considering we're now basically in two separate time zones. Yes, indeedy. So that's about it from us. If you want to listen to more, you can find all our episodes on the feed or wherever you get your podcasts. And if you subscribe to the show, you'll make sure you never miss an episode. If you want to get in touch... Our email is beholdpod at gmail.com or you can follow us on Twitter at beholdpod. And if you're a fan, we'd really appreciate it if you left us a review on your podcast app of choice or recommended us to a friend. It's the best way for us to grow the show and reach new listeners. So that's everything. Until next time, I've been Andrew. And I've possibly been Mick, but Mick from the distant past. So long and thanks for listening.